the majority of people are very scared of slowdowns in the economy, slowdowns in the markets. However, for the minority of people, recessions, crashes are opportunity to build. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. How can people overcome the fear and anxiety of everything crashing right now <laughs> and start to set themselves up for peace and protection moving yeah. forward? So <laughs> uh, there's the R word, recession, which when people hear that, it gives them anxiety, mm-hmm. fear, panic, makes people scared because you think of layoffs, companies going down. A couple of things that I want to mention regarding that is, you know, the, the majority of people are very scared of slowdowns in the economy, slowdowns in the markets. However, for the minority of people, recessions, crashes are opportunity to build wealth. You can think of it mm. almost like a, a Black Friday for investors. Mm. So the first point that I want to make regarding that is some people will use slowdowns as an opportunity to build immense amounts of wealth immense amounts of wealth more millionaires are made during recessions than any other time so how, how do they do it so that's the thing you want to find the opportunity and and the way that you find the opportunity is first to understand how you get there because history doesn't repeat itself but it does rhyme and so what happens is people say oh this happened in 2020 so it must happen again or this mm-hmm. happened in 2008 so this is probably going to happen or this happened in 2001 That's not how it works. You have to understand what happened and how you're getting to where you are right now. That way you can look for the new opportunity because the opportunity is gonna be similar but different. And you Mm. wanna be ready when times are okay and good and prepared. That way when things go bad, you can come in and pounce on the opportunity and take advantage of it. So you got the stock market, which is, you know, have it looks like record lows. It seems like every week it just keeps going down. You've got the crypto market, which is in the NFT space, which yeah. just seems like it's going down and down deeper into a hole. You've got the housing market, which seems like it's starting to take a turn uh, and might pop in this bubble. What, where is the biggest opportunity right sure. now? So let's talk about how we got here so you can yes. see where the opportunity will be. So in the past, for the number last number of decades, Anytime you saw an economic slowdown, the response was to create inflation. The response uh-huh. was to stimulate. So go back to 2001. When the dot-com bubble burst, we saw interest rates get cut. There was stimulus by the Federal Reserve Bank. So anytime you inject more money into the economy, it creates inflation. Same thing happened in 2008. The 2008 bubble, real estate bubble burst. And then we saw a new quantitative easing. We saw cutting of interest rates. More money was injected into the economy. Same thing in 2020 on a extremely bigger, much bigger level. 2008 was the largest quantitative easing in the history of time. And 2020 blew past that. It was like five, ten times more, right? It was significantly more. And uh, so what happens is when you create more money, it reduces the value of your dollars. This is what inflation is. Inflation mm. comes from the word inflate. Mm. So, what so we you print inflate? a lot of money to put it into the economy, right? New money, which creates inflation, correct? Right, and it, it, the value of your dollar goes down causing the price of things to go up. So when 2020 happened, 
we started printing more money and injecting this into the stock market, into corporations, and into people in the form of stimulus checks and unemployment. Mm -hmm. So what did that do? Well, in 2020, we saw the fastest and most severe stock market crash in history. It exceeded the rate of the Great Depression. Wow. And then what happened? The Fed opened up the money printer and boom, boom shot right back up. It was the fastest stock market growth in the history of time. Which, if you think about that, we had the fastest stock market crash in the history of time, and then we had the fastest stock market recovery in the wow. history of time. How is that possible? Well, we printed an insane amount of new money. And when that happened, we created something called unlimited quantitative easing, where they essentially just said that they would print and do whatever it takes to help recover markets. Well, when you start printing all of this money without producing more products, because now, remember, the world is shut down, what happens? We have people who have money, and nothing is being produced. Uh -huh. So now if you have money and you can buy stuff, but nothing's being produced, what's gonna happen? You start shopping and things get bought and all of a sudden companies can't keep producing the product products that they had before. Now you start to create supply chain issues. Uh -huh. So now this started creating supply chain issues and then this caused the price of things to go up even more because now companies say, well, I don't have more mugs to sell you. I only have a few, so I'm gonna have to raise the price of these mugs. And now you start to go down this inflationary spiral because now that people need more money to buy things, they go to their boss and they say, hey, look, I need more money. Right. It's more expensive to yeah. survive. Then your boss pays you more money, hopefully. And then your company says, our costs have just gone up. People need more money. So what do we need to do? We need to charge more for our products. Now you charge more for your products, people need more money, it starts to create this spiral. So that was the issue that kind of led us to where we are now. And up until... Just a few months ago, inflation was supposedly transitory. It was supposedly this temporary thing that would just magically go away. But the interesting thing, though, mm. if we go into a little bit of data, I don't want to get too confusing, but the interesting thing, though, is there's really no clear answer as to how much money was created. We have ideas, but if you look at this thing called M1, which is the amount of money out there. You can go to Google search uh, Fed M1. They have a chart of it. And what you'll see is that in the beginning part of 2020, there was just under $4 trillion of money out there, M1. And then now, today, there's over $20 trillion out there in M1. Of, of money, actual money. dollars. It, of M now, let me say, what, the reason why I'm saying it this way is because when the pandemic hit, the Fed started creating more money, but they also changed the definition of money. M1, which is the definition of money out there, as soon as it started opening up quantitative easing, they changed the definition of it. Why? Now, there's no real answer for this, but my guess would be that if people knew exactly how much money was printed mm -hmm. by the Fed, then people would be more of an uproar of what's going on because then they would see, holy cow, you're printing all this money, making businesses rich, making investors rich, making regular people poorer because inflation disproportionately mm -hmm. hurts the financially uneducated and the financially poor because guess what? Now, your gas is more expensive, your groceries are more expensive, you're expensive, your rent is more expensive, right. but your wages aren't keeping up with it. Unless you had a 20% wage increase, your cost of living is probably outperforming your mm -hmm. wages. So. That's what's happening in terms of money. We had an insane amount of money printing being done. And in addition to that, we also saw interest rates get cut. What are interest rates and how does that have anything to do with inflation? Well, the Federal Reserve Bank 
is the Federal Reserve Bank. However, they're not federal. It says so on their website. They're not mm. a reserve mm. because they don't keep any cash reserves. And they're not a bank. You and I can't go there to deposit money or do any banking. Right. So the Federal Reserve Bank, while it's not federal or reserve or a bank, they control our monetary supply. They control our money. There's two ways that they can do that. One is through interest rates and the other is through printing money. So through interest rates, they have the ability to raise and cut interest rates. When we are in a mm. slowing economy, a recession, they cut interest rates to stimulate spending because our economy runs on spending. If I have $1,000 in my pocket and I go to Amazon and I spend this $1,000, well, Amazon has more money to hire more employees, invest in more infrastructure, do more mm -hmm. things in the business. But if I keep that money in my pocket, they're not making as much money and they can't keep growing. So our economy runs on spending. And when you cut interest rates, spending goes up. When mortgage rates drop to 2.5%, people want to go and buy a home. Mm -hmm. People want to go out and buy more cars. People want to go out and spend money because it's not as expensive. Right. And businesses do the same thing. Institutions are going to go out and borrow an insane amount of money because it's cheap. If I can borrow money, $100 million at 3% a year, and I can grow my company at 5% a year, I'm going to do that all day long, right? And that's what institutions did. So more money gets injected into the economy when interest rates are down. So that's what happens typically when you're in a recession. It creates more inflation, mm -hmm. right? Because you're adding more money yes. to the economy. However, it helps to stimulate the economy. Now, when you're in a growing economy and you want to cool down the economy, you want to cool down inflation, you do the opposite. You start raising interest rates, making it more expensive to buy a home, making it more expensive to live. And then you also can, in this case, remove cash out of the economy. This is what the Fed is trying to do now. How do you remove it out of the economy? So the Fed is, well, interest rates and then their balance sheet. And I'll talk about interest yeah. rates first and I'll go into the balance sheet. So the Fed right now is raising interest rates because they want to slow down inflation. So when you raise interest rates, what happens? It's more expensive to buy a home now. So less it, people buy. Less people buy. Less cash enters our economy, less institutions borrow money, less corporations borrow money. So borrowing goes down, less dollars enter our economy. The second side is the balance sheet. So this one's kind of interesting because you have to understand a little bit of how <clears throat> money works on the government side without going into politics. So the government is not a for-profit entity. They don't sell products for money, right? What they do is they get their money from tax dollars. People mm -hmm. like you and me, right? We pay taxes and then the government spends money. So when the government spends less than what they bring in, no problem. Their tax dollars cover it and then they have a surplus in case one year they overspend. Yeah. But that's not what happens here. We spend more money than what we bring in. So that's why we have this national debt of $30 trillion, this national deficit. Um, and so how do you cover that? Well, if you spend more money than what you bring in, you can do a few things. You can raise taxes, which is going to make people angry if your taxes go up. And so you can't always do that. Second is you can go out and you can borrow money. You can go and uh, raise debt. So that's what the government does. They go borrow money from countries like China and Japan. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be a limit to how much money you can borrow. So if you can't borrow enough money from different countries, then what's left? Well, then you can issue something called a treasury bond, which is where not anybody, people like you and me, anybody listening to this can go and lend money to the United States government. Mm -hmm. But if the government is running a big deficit, meaning let's just say they need to raise $4 trillion, where are they going to get this money? Well, if they can't get that money from regular people, then they're going to call up the Fed and they're going to say, hey, Fed, we want to issue $3 trillion of 
treasury bonds. No one's going to buy it. Can you help us out? Now, remember, the Fed doesn't have cash piles sitting there. So what do they do? They print $3 trillion. Jeez. Give it to the government. This money is created out of thin air. Now, the government has this $3 trillion. Inflation just happened. And then the government is able to now spend this money without any sort of taxation. However, you still pay the price. The most expensive kind of money that there is is free money. Because now when the government gets this money for free out of thin air, everybody pays the price. And the person who pays the price disproportionately are the poor mm. and the financially uneducated because now you have to pay for inflation. Your wages don't stretch as far. Your savings don't go as far. And now your cost of living is significantly higher. So you're becoming poorer each and every day. Inflation hurts the poor. And the reason I'm not even talking about the middle class is because inflation is the reason why the middle class is getting wiped out. Mm, it's turning into more it's poor. It's turning more into either poor or the wealthy. Because if you understand what's going on here, you're going to change the way that you use your money and it creates this divide. So more and more inflation creates a bigger wealth gap. And that's what we're seeing happen mm. now. Some people during the pandemic became insanely wealthy. Yes. You know, they talk about how uh, the richest Americans had gained billions and billions of dollars worth of wealth. Well, the poorest Americans saw no change. Yeah. And so when the cost of living is going up so significantly and you don't understand this, you're being screwed over by the system and you don't even see it happen. So that's the issue with inflation. And if it get, becomes a real big problem, well, then you can run into some sort of currency crisis or you can run into an issue where the government can default on their debt. Mm. And this is an issue that's wow. actually happening right now, not in the United States, but Sri Lanka. They just defaulted on their debt, the country. Really? What does that mean? <laughs> we have so much debt. We have spent so much money. We have no way to make the payments. We're going to default. And now the currency goes into collapse. Inflation goes through the roof. The economy goes to down. Wow. It, it's a big problem. And it creates a lot of civil unrest. So that is the worst case scenario because now it's you're worried not only about the economy, but you're worried about the currency. And you're worried about being able to find food. You're being able to, like, food becomes a scarcity. And right now, because of the inflation issue, not just in the United States, but around the world, the World Bank said that about a dozen countries are on the verge of a potential debt default. Wow. Because of all of the inflation that's going on. So it's a real issue. And most of us have no idea it's happening. That's why it's known as the hidden tax, the mm -hmm. silent tax. It Everybody pays the price. And if you don't know you're paying the price, you're the one that's probably paying the biggest price. <laughs> right. So this is where it's so important to get educated on that. So what would be the thing, if there was an, the biggest opportunity to create wealth right now, yeah. what industry or sector would that be? Is that in these you know, sure. stocks? I feel, like, I feel like nothing is stable. Like if you're gonna put yeah. money in something, you could make a lot or you could lose it all sure. within a month. Is it the stocks, is it the crypto? NFT space? Is it the housing? Is it you yeah. know, investing in yourself in another way? What would you say <laughs> we should be investing in? Absolutely. So the first, so the answer is going to be looking for where the opportunity happens. Okay. So 2008 yes, was me. real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the biggest real estate opportunity in, in our lifetimes. In 2020, it was stocks and crypto. In 2020, the stock market from its bottom to the end of 2020 grew by 60%. The crypto market grew by almost 600%. And so it's and fine. if you didn't get out, you'd probably you didn't come go, back to... Of course. But yeah. this is where, you know, again, the psychology of your investing mm. is so important. But the thing that you want to pay attention to now is it's, it's you want to see where things are going. Yes. That way you can 
make the right moves. Remember, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, yes. right? So you want to look at the same data points and the same factors and see what's happening. So if you could make a prediction of what do you think is going to happen over the next few years, <laughs> based on history, yeah. So let me. What, what do you, what's rhyming right now? Yeah. What's rhyming for you? So it's going to depend on one thing. Okay. It's going to depend on what the Fed does next. Okay. Because right now, and I'll explain, and I'll give you the, uh, a defined answer in just yes. a minute. But I'm, I like to give you my reasoning first. Yeah, give me the context. So right now, the Fed is working to fight inflation. And but, but how? It's like eight, nine percent. Yeah, they're raising interest rates, and they're going to start selling off their balance sheet. So the Fed balance sheet is around nine trillion dollars. Crazy. And so starting in June, they're going to start selling off these assets while raising interest rates. And the Fed says that they're willing to fight inflation because, because the economy is so strong and robust, and because the economy is so strong and it can withstand any sort of interest rate. Hikes. So, mm. what is the Fed doing in essence? They're pulling money out of the economy. And now they're hoping that the economy will continue to stay strong. Mm. So, by raising interest rates, what's happening? Housing is becoming significantly more expensive. And housing or rent? Like buying a home or renting? Both of them. Yeah. Rent costs have gone up by 20%. <sighs> buying a home has gone up by even more. And I'll tell you why. Because when people talk about home prices, what do they talk about? They say, oh, well, home prices are up 20% from a year ago. But your housing cost is significantly more than 20% because if one year ago you wanted to buy a home for half a million dollars, you could get a mortgage for two and a half percent, 30 year fixed. Now, two and a half percent mortgage? Oh, wow. Yeah. For interest get, rate. Yeah, interest yeah. rate, yeah. 30 you put year fixed. 20% down, right? So $100,000 down. Yeah. You could borrow $400,000 yeah. at 2.5%. It would cost you something between $1,600 and $1,700 a month. It's not bad. Today, that home is not 500,000, it's 600,000, 20% more. And your mortgage rate is not 2.5%, maybe 5.5%. So what does that mean? If you put 20% down, you're not putting down 100 grand, you're putting down 120 grand. Mm -hmm. And you're not financing 400,000, you're financing $480,000. So you have to borrow more dollars, and then you're borrowing the dollars at a higher interest rate. So you're not borrowing at 2.5%, you're borrowing at 5.5%. Mm. So now your mortgage, on that same house, the exact same house, assuming no upgrades, has gone from $1,600, $1,700 a month to $2,400, $2,500 a month. So your housing more. cost yeah. is significantly higher. So now with interest rates going up, what's, ha what's happening? People are saying, oh my God, homes are significantly more expensive. Mortgage applications are starting to go down. In the stock market, what's happening? Well, businesses are having higher costs to operate because now if you were one of the companies that were relying on debt and your stock price in order to operate because when you're in a low interest rate mm -hmm. environment, you don't really need to make money because investors will keep throwing money at you because they can just keep borrowing money super cheap. Right. And so if you were one of those companies that were not profitable, you might have just said, well, I'm worth $40 billion. I don't need to make a profit because I could just borrow money. I can just get an investor to invest money into me. But now people are looking at you and saying, I can't borrow that same money at the same rates as I could before, so I need a better return. And you're not making a profit, so I'd rather invest my money somewhere safer. So a lot of companies are seeing their valuations drop, meaning stock prices are dropping as interest rates go up. Same in the cryptocurrency market. 
One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's a saying that when the tide goes out, you see you swimming naked. What happens? Well, there's a lot of free money out there. There was. And so people can just keep swimming in the free money, throw it into anything and just hope that they'll make money on it because there's a lot of dumb money out there. Yeah. But when that money starts to go away, that's when you see who was swimming naked. That's when you see the scams, you start to see the bad investments and you start to get exposed because now people want to put their money somewhere safe and somewhere smarter. So people are leaving the risky investments and moving to the smarter places. So now back to your question, where do you go? Where do you put your money? And the reason why it depends on the Fed is because it depends on what the Fed does next. If they continue fighting inflation and they say, we're going to do whatever it takes to bring inflation down. That means we're going to pull money out of the economy. We're going to jack up interest rates. Even if that means that we're going to go into a recession, even if that wow. means we cause a housing market crash, even if that means we cause a stock market crash, we're going to keep doing it. If they do that, well, then you're going to have a big buying opportunity in pretty much any asset class, assuming you find a good um, investment there, a strong fundamental investment. But there's also the chance that the Fed doesn't do that. There's a chance that the Fed says, we're starting to raise interest rates now. And this is what they're doing right now. And then six months go by and they say, these higher interest rates are really hurting the economy now. Mm. The economy isn't as strong as we thought. So the economy back down a little bit, and yeah. then they start cutting interest rates. Now mm. what are you doing? You're in a high inflationary environment. Oh, man. And now you're creating more inflation in order to fight the economy. Because the Fed can either fight inflation or they can fight the economy. They can only do one or the other. And in all the previous crashes that I talked about, we were never worried about inflation. We were worried about an economic slowdown in 2008. We were worried uh -huh. about an economic slowdown. 2001, economic slowdown. Even in 2020, the, the worry was not inflation. The worry was deflation. Right. The Fed says, we can't have deflation. We don't want people to have their savings worth more. We need to create more inflation. And now, it's we have an inflation problem. And so if the economy goes down, wow. what do you do? You create more inflation to save the economy. However, that creates more inflation. Our economic slowdown today is being caused by inflation. Mm. You cannot fix an inflationary recession through more inflation. What's that gonna do? It's gonna make the inflation problem worse. Yeah, it'll, it'll probably boost the economy in the short term, but it will crash the stock market and the real estate market, not downwards, but upwards. Interesting. And that's the, a very interesting concept to think about because huh. when you think about a market crash, what are you thinking? Stock prices go down, real estate prices go down. But if you're worried about high inflation and then you start creating more inflation, what's going to happen? People are going to take the dollars and they're going to want to get out of cash because they're going to say, if our inflation rate goes even higher, our cash is going to lose value even quicker. We want to own any asset, stocks, want to own real estate, maybe cryptocurrency, some smart ones. You're going to see more cryptocurrencies potentially go under. We've already seen some go under. So you're going to want to make fundamental investments, but you could see just a lot of money flow into these assets, kind of like what we saw happen in 2020. The, we were in a recession, but the stock market was 
going upwards.、Right. Why? The money printer let it all in. So that's where you want to pay attention to what's happening there. How high do you think the、uh, interest rates could get to? What's the potential range you think? So let's talk about history.、Uh, in 1970, it was the last time we saw inflation this high, or in the late 1970s, closer to 1980. And in that time, we were facing double-digit inflation. And in order to fight that inflation, the Federal Reserve then said. Either we can fight the slowing economy, or we can fight the inflation. Similar issue. It was called stagflation. Stagflation is a very weird economic concept, where you have a slowing economy and you also have rising costs.、Mm-hmm. So it's like the worst case scenario. Sure. And so during that time, they said, okay, we have a slowing economy and we have high inflation. We're gonna say ignore the economy. We're gonna bring down inflation because that will save our dollar. It will save the currency. And so, what did they do? They jacked up interest rates, and mortgage rates were almost twenty percent. What? When、almost、was the 20. last time it was over ten? <laughs> Remember?、Uh, in the nineties to early two thousands, around that time, really nineties probably. Yeah, it was the last time it was uh, uh, over ten. So, if it went over ten now, what do you think would happen? If the Fed continues to jack up interest rates to bring it over ten percent, home prices will have to go down. I mean, because people won't be buying. You can't afford. The home at、no. the same interest rate today, and that would also significantly hurt businesses because the businesses that are relying on debt,、uh, they're going to see a、mm. big pain, a big crunch, and so that's where the Fed is facing a big dilemma. They're hoping that inflation will go down, but the question is how.、Uh, they're hoping that it's still just supply chain. They're hoping that it's still just Russia. They're hoping that it's still just other issues, but the one issue they never talk about is the money printing and the stimulus. And that's the concern. It's we if we really want to get serious about fighting inflation, we might have to get more aggressive. And if we get more aggressive on inflation, it's going to hurt the economy.、Uh, even the、uh, a previous Federal Reserve chairman said that we need to crash the markets because we need to get serious on inflation because、wow. we don't want to deal a currency crisis would be even worse than just dealing with a recession. And so that's where it's what is going to happen, and are we really that bad? And the last thing I want to mention on that is. The money printing that we saw happen in 2020,、uh, it has just come out that it also led to the biggest financial fraud of America ever. Really? Why? Because people abused the system. Oh yeah, they so, lied about、everything. things. They got free money they shouldn't have gotten. It was the biggest financial fraud in、wow. our history, and the reason why it was from all angles. But if you look at the PPP, which was the uh, uh, loan to businesses, that if you have Uh, employees, you have rent. If you have business costs and you're shut down, you can get essentially a free loan from the government, and you don't even got to worry about paying it back. It's crazy, right? And if you are taken out, I think it was less than two million dollars. You don't even have to explain what you use the money for. You have no justification. You can just borrow the money. So what happened? Well, some businesses use that money for good, and some people said, "Well, I don't have a business, but I wonder if I can look up a registry of businesses and say, 'Oh, these are some businesses,' and just start applying under these business names and、no、say、way. that I need the money." Wow! Billions and billions and billions of dollars were stolen. Where did the money go? Lambos. They went into nice cars. They went into nice homes. And it's just coming out now. And so we saw tens of billions of dollars go to just complete waste. Even in the unemployment program, now they're starting to realize that some people who were getting unemployment、uh, didn't justifiably get the money or shouldn't have gotten the money. And so they were sitting at home playing video games when they should have been working or could have been working. And、mm-hmm. maybe they were doing something. That they shouldn't have. There was no incentive for them to work because they were making just as much, or more, almost, or more. Or even they were working, 
and still getting the unemployment because they were mm. doing something illegal. And mm. so it created all this fraud. And so it's like <laughs> we had all the stimulus without really any regulation, regulation yeah. without looking into what we're doing with it. And it created the <sighs> biggest financial fraud. And now who's paying the price? The average person, mm -hmm. regular people are paying the price to inflation. And if you're just now relenting what inflation is, you're really probably getting pinched by it. And, yes. it. and it sucks because we're never taught about this. When are we ever taught about inflation? When are we taught how to fight inflation? I, it, it's it's so unless, unfortunate. Yeah, that, unless you're in like an economics class in college or something, maybe. Uh, well, look, I tried to get into <laughs> I tried to get into business school when I was in college. I needed to take Econ 1 and yeah. Econ 2. I almost failed Econ 1, uh -huh. so I couldn't get into business school. So I don't even know if the economics classes teach this. I know. So I'm curious, okay. Let's say it goes above 10% in, um, interest rates yeah. at some point this year. What would be your next three moves? Like if you see it creeping closer there, what would you be investing in or taking your money out of? Or what would be your next three moves? Sure. So I think the more liquid and more active investments would be your, your liquid investments. Things like stocks, things like cryptocurrency. So again, if you look at 2008, when the stock market crashed, started going down, it bottomed out in 2009, and then it started going up. So the 2008 crash happened, started in 2007, and, and it bottomed in 2009, and then it goes up. And by 2012, the stock market had fully recovered. But in 2012, that was when the housing market bottomed. Mm. So the housing market bottomed <laughs> three years after the stock market crashed. Wow. And why? Well, the stock market has a lot of panic, it has a lot of emotions, and you can oversell very quickly because it's all emotions, right? When, when you see the headlines on the news talking about what's happening in the markets, people get scared. And sell today, panic. right now. And yeah. then you see your assets go down. Then you go, oh my God, my asset's down 30%. I want to sell my stocks. And then it keeps going down. And it, it, so it's a very emotional driven. And it can happen essentially in the blink of an eye because you can buy and sell stocks in a second. The housing market doesn't work like that. The housing market has a much longer lag time because it can take easily 30 to 90 days to buy and sell a home. And so it, you just understand that the housing market moves significantly slower. And so if interest rates say went up to 10%, uh, I have a strong hunch that the stock market would get hurt bad. And I think there'd be a lot of opportunity there. But the in the stock is, market. In the stock market. To now, invest then in the stock yes, market, yeah. And that's if you believe in the American economy, I do. If you think the American economy is gonna be strong in 10 years, 20 years, then there's opportunity there for you. And so what that would mean for me is looking for strong, companies that are not going into bankruptcy that I can find opportunity to purchase. And if you're not interested in investing in individual companies, if you're not willing to spend the time doing that, because I think the majority of people should not be investing in individual companies because right. they're not willing to put in the time, effort, research, and have the psychology to do that, yes. then you can just look into an ETF that gives you exposure to the general stock market, the S&P mm -hmm. 500, which is the biggest 500 companies on the stock market. And now yeah. you're just investing in a piece of America and it, you're able to buy it at a discounted price. So that's what I would say there. And then if you're talking about cryptocurrency, you have to first, I'm not here to tell you believe in crypto or don't believe in crypto. That's not what I'm here to do. If you believe in crypto, I do, I invest in crypto. If you believe in the technology, you have to be willing to weather the storm mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to understand that, you know, price makes a big, changes the sentiment of crypto. Because when prices of crypto go down, people think crypto is, is fake. It doesn't matter. When prices of crypto go up, people think, oh, it's the future. And so right. if you really want to be an investor, you have to be able to cut through that emotion and cut through the noise and understand, mm -hmm. okay, 
Uh, I like the blockchain. I like the technology. I'm not investing in the meme stuff. I'm investing in something that has actual value that can actually create change and then that can be an investment for you. But now, in terms of timing, I want to make sure I mention this because a big mistake that happens, and this happened in big part in 2020, is you can't time the market. Right. Nobody knows when the bottom is. And it doesn't make sense trying to time the bottom. When, when the 2020 crash happened, I was making videos on YouTube. And one of the things that I was saying when the market was just collapsing, I said, look, here's what I'm doing. I'm buying on the way down. I buy in phases. I don't know when the bottom is, so I'm just going to keep buying. When I've, I do my research now to find the good companies and the mm -hmm. investments that I want to own. So I'd spend my time when times are good to find the good yes. investments. I, I already know what I want. Now, all I'm looking for is a good price. I'm looking for a good entry point. When the price goes down, hey, it's on sale. I'm going to buy. If it goes down further, I'm going to buy even more. So every time it goes down 10 to 15%, I buy and I buy more aggressively as it goes lower. And when I was making those videos, I got a lot. I got flooded with comments of people saying, why would you buy now? Mm. The market is collapsing. It's going to go way further. Wait for it to drop. And I, I kept saying, look, I can't predict the future. I don't know when the bottom is. I'm not trying to time the bottom. I don't know how long we're going to be at the bottom. Sure. What happened? The Fed opened up the money printer, the X factor, I like to call it, and it shot back up. So if you were trying to time the bottom, what happened? You missed the opportunity yes. to buy because then it starts going up and you say, no, it's too high. I don't want to buy. And then it keeps going higher and higher and higher and you just missed it. Yeah. So instead of trying to perfectly time the market, either do a dollar cost average system where every week you just buy a little bit of your investments that you like, whether the market's up or down, doesn't matter. Passive, consistent, automatic, you let it do its thing. Or if you want to be more active and you want to look and research the companies and the investments that you want, Make your list mm -hmm. and just look for a good buying yeah. opportunity and buy on the way down. It, is it, in your opinion, would you buy a home uh, when interest rates is over, or I mean, uh, yeah, when interest rates is over 10% or you feel like, even though you're getting at a massive discount, you're paying more every month, would you consider that or you just wait until interest rates go down? So I look at home buying very differently than the majority of people. I look at buying a home the way I buy a shirt. Mm -hmm. For me, a home is not an asset, it's a liability. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? I want to buy a home because I want to create memories. Yes. I want to buy an investment property or an investment because I want to make money. So if you're buying a home because you think, oh, I want to get rich because of my home, I think mm -hmm. you're looking at it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Because you should be looking at your home as, I want to make memories here, I want to live here, and I want to grow my family here, and I want to spend time here. If that's the reason why you want to buy a home, what you should be paying attention to is not what's going on in the markets, not what's going on with interest rates, but instead what you should do is say, can I afford it? Right. And what does that mean? Can I afford the down payment? Can I afford the monthly payment? The property tax. Can I afford the property tax? The fix-ups. The fix-ups. <laughs> the move-in costs. And then, you know, your move-in, like, like I need the furniture, the, the furniture, upgrades, everything, all that. Man. So if you can afford it, then you buy. If you can't afford it, if you're stretching yourself too thin, you don't buy. Because what happens to so many people is you get sucked into trying to time the market. But again, if interest rates drop and you own a home, you can refinance. Right. And so... Remember, it's understanding so it's, almost, the so it's almost good to buy it when interest rates are high if you can get the house on discount. And then if in a year or two the interest rates drop in half, you can refinance. Just as, make sure you can afford it. Right, That's right, the right. biggest thing. You sure. have to be able to afford it because if you are stretching yourself too thin, going paycheck to paycheck yeah, to live in a it. home, you're hurting yourself. Because now what you're doing, you don't have the ability to invest in other places. You cannot invest your money. Do, and, you, think, do you think people will be able to actually buy a home in five to seven years? It depends on what the Fed does. If the Fed cuts interest rates when we go into a recession, if so our economy slows down, the Fed starts cutting interest rates, mortgage rates go back down, 
you're going to see a bigger flood of cash into the housing market and that will create a bigger wealth gap and it will make it significantly more difficult for the regular person to buy a home home ownership will become <laughs> a real american nightmare because you will not it will be so difficult for the regular person we will turn into essentially a renter nation wow where homeowners uh, homes are owned not even by regular investors like corporations corporations yeah. they've been buying up I was reading Black that Blackstone's Black, been buying up a ton of homes, Black, Yeah, right? BlackRock's buying like... Uh, BlackRock or Blackstone? Yeah, they're buying one out of every four homes in certain neighborhoods. That's crazy, man. Yeah, and, and so just they, they're, Which means they believe people aren't going to be able to afford them and they're going to have to rent from them. Yes, and so it's, it's, a, it's a crazy time to understand that, which is why, again, I look at the home like a liability. Can you afford it? Yes, then buy. If not, then... Don't stretch yourself too thin. I used to be a real estate salesperson. And the reason why this is so important is because when I was a salesperson, you know, what they say is, you know, you want to tell people this is their biggest investment of their mm -hmm. life. So buy a home that you love. Now, again, real estate agents are not bad people. Banks are not, bankers are not necessarily bad people. However, you have to understand the messaging. If I tell you this is the biggest investment of your life, what are you going to say? I want something bigger. I'm willing to stretch a little bit thinner. Yeah. I'm willing to go a little bit further because I want that home. And so what does that do? Well, it makes the banker richer. It makes the real estate agent a bigger commission check and they walk away and now you have to deal with it. If you can afford it, great. But if you start to struggle with it, you're the one that has to deal with the problem by yourself. And so what happens for so many people is your home is a money pit until you sell it. And mm -hmm. then you have to hope that you sell it for a profit. Because there's no guarantee, right? We right. don't know uh, where home prices are going to be in five years or 10 years. I, I can't predict that. I don't know what the Fed is going to do. And so the main thing that you have to understand if you're thinking about buying a home is ignore the markets. Ignore what's going on in the world. Can you afford it today? And please do me a favor, okay? I, I, I very rarely try to tell people what to do because I feel like, you know, I try to... I want you to be educated so you can make smart decisions for yourself. But the one time that I, I really tried to give people, like I say, don't do this, is when it comes to adjustable rate mortgages because they've been making a huge comeback now. Because now the interest rates are 5.5%. People say, I missed out on the opportunity to get a low mortgage. And now I have been seeing a huge growth of adjustable rate mortgages because now banks will say, don't pay 5.5% on a home, pay 3.7% today, and it's a 5-1 arm. Meaning, after five years, it's going to readjust. And then your mortgage payments will readjust. And if it goes higher, don't worry. You can just refinance out. And <laughs> it is so risky mm. because we don't know where interest rates are going to be. If they go up and they go up significantly and now you're like, oh my God, let's just say mortgage rates are 10%. I don't want to pay three times more for my mortgage from $800 a month to $2,400 a month. I can't afford that. So let me refinance. Well, if you do that and home prices have dropped and you can't refinance mm. because the bank says, well, you don't have enough equity in the home. I'm not going to refinance you. And then you can't sell because you're underwater. Well, now you're in a tough situation. So pay a little bit more, get that fixed rate mortgage because if mortgage rates do drop, refinance right, and lock it in because you know other countries in the world don't always even have the option to do a 30-year fixed. Right. We do. But a, a, an ARM, an adjustable rate mortgage, is significantly more risky. The only time that I would say an ARM is okay is if you are like 100% confident that you're going to be able to pay off the home during that initial teaser rate. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you cannot, then you are taking on a huge, huge gamble yeah. with the home that you live in, with your family's livelihood. 
you know, it's one thing if you do it with an investment, but with your the home that you live in, avoid that extra risk and just lock in the rate, please. Right. I'm curious. Here's a question uh, we got from people on YouTube. If someone has between a thousand and ten thousand dollars today yeah. to yeah. invest, they can spend on whatever they want. Yeah. And they had to turn it into a hundred thousand within three years. Oh. Okay. What steps would they should they take? And, and obviously, this is a you know, not a guarantee, but if you're sure. like, you have to turn this 1000 into 100000 or 10000 into 100000 what would you invest in right now and how would you manage it over the next couple sure. of years? So I'm going to give you kind of a, a longer answer than maybe you were hoping for on this one. Give it to me. <laughs> I'm going to start by telling you what you should not do. Okay. Uh, because the first time I remember, um, I, I had $1,000 extra on my bank account. I was in high school. And what I did with that is I took the $1,000 and I went out and I bought a watch. Mm, no, and, don't do that. Yeah, and, and this watch was very studded up. It was all crystals and I was like, ooh, it's a nice watch. Clean. So what happened with yeah? <laughs> what happened with that watch? Well, I made that watch company richer. I made the jewelry store owner richer. And now that $1,000 watch today is made worth maybe 50 bucks. Right? It, was just, it was just a show. So my value of my investment dropped like a rock. But now these companies made money, which now they could take that and invest in more products, more inventory, more marketing, more whatever. So the first thing is you got to understand that you want to put it in something that's going to help make you more money. So I'll give you my personal experience because I saw the biggest returns by investing in me, but that will be more of an active investment. And then you have the opportunity for a passive investment, which is why it's a longer answer than what you were probably hoping for, but I'll try to get to all the answers there. So I feel like everybody... uh, who, especially if you have the entrepreneurial mindset, you go through these phases where you first go through this like, I'm a hustler, side hustler phase, yep. and then maybe you become like a solopreneur, and then you become an entrepreneur, and then you become a small business owner, and then you kind of go to that business yes. owner route. So you kind of go through these phases because initially, when I first started as a side hustler, I don't know what entrepreneurship was. I was mm-hmm. just trying to make just some Trying to make money. some cash on the side. Exactly, you're yeah. just starting off. For me, I started off in the event planning space. So I was in college. I started hosting teen parties Mm -hmm. for other kids in college. And I didn't really have any money to spend. I was 17 uh, 17 years old when I started. So I was like making very not attractive deals to me, but it was the only way I could get started. Because what I did was I would go to venues to host a party. And I wanted a venue that wouldn't charge me any money up front. And in exchange, they would say, just give us 50% of every dollar that you earn. So if I made $1,000 in revenue from cover charge, right, $10 to come in, I give the venue, the club, whatever, ten or $500. And then I didn't have money for a DJ. Right. So I said, look, DJ, I need someone to play music. Let's work out a deal. They took 50% of what I was left with. Oh, man. So I would give them, you know, left for 500. They would take 250. Now, luckily, the business was able to grow where, you know, we were making on the low end a couple grand a night. And then what was I able to do? I was able to negotiate better deals. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to start investing my money into marketing. So I started taking some money and I remember the first thing that we did was I started investing money into flyers. It was $100 at the time to print 5,000 small flyers. And so uh, I got creative and I was like, look, before the event, we need to distribute all 5,000 flyers. We cannot have them in our possession (laughs) anymore. And I can't do this myself, so I need salespeople essentially. But I don't want to pay for salespeople. Street team interns, college students. So what do you do? I'll give you VIP entry into the party which doesn't cost me a penny. And I will give you a shout out at the party. Doesn't cost me anything. Makes you feel cool. Makes you feel exclusive. You get to walk past the line. You have this lanyard that says you're this, you know, VIP, whatever. And so now 
I have people at some of the biggest colleges in my uh-huh. area passing out flyers, trying to get everybody to come because now you want to be one of those people. So you know, I got these free salespeople that are trying to promote it. Smart. You have to be creative. And that now starts to multiply the money. And that's when I realized that I'm just a side hustler. I will never be able to build a business sure. on this. I don't want to build a business like this because it was a very dirty industry, mm-hmm. which is why I got out of it. I did not like the scene. So I, I left that and uh, started kind of going down more of the entrepreneurship route, not going more into innovation. So I started a sock company. So now I'm starting to invest money, my mm-hmm. own dollars into the sock company. That way now I can build a product, build inventory, build a website, build advertising, build marketing. And now I'm able to grow this much faster because now I have some skills that I learned right. from my mistakes because I screwed up a lot. My first event was a complete flop. I had some very bad failures. I had lost money on some occasions. It was, you know, when you deal with club owners, yeah. you're dealing with very interesting people and you learn very quickly, right? I'm a 17-year-old going up to some of these club owners trying to figure out the game and they're taking, they're, they're taking yeah. advantage of you. And it's also dangerous. I remember one time I went to a club uh, to talk to the manager because we had a party the next week and I said, where's the manager? He said, oh, we got stabbed last night. Oh, man. And so, you know, you, you learn very quickly to protect yourself, to protect your own interests. I mean, it's, you, you're, you're literally, I mean, there was a lot of physical stuff that happened. I mean, I got an, I was the bouncer in a lot of it. So I, you know, you learn to protect yourself physically, sure. you learn to protect yourself mentally, you learn to protect yourself financially. So I had to learn very quickly. And so now I take the things that I learned. I'm in a much safer, much smoother, much cleaner industry, the sock industry, but I start to learn Mm -hmm. and I start to apply some of the same marketing. How can I be creative in the marketing? How can I get people to learn? And, you know, you can't learn this in a textbook. You just have to try, be willing to fail. And so same thing there. Now I kind of go into the entrepreneurship route and now I'm starting to learn and I start to sell. And then I realize my passion isn't in socks. I like the socks. I like the business idea, but my passion isn't there. My passion is more on the financial side. Mm-hmm. So now I'm all, I, I was also doing minority mindset as a hobby. Minority mindset starts to grow. And then I start to build things like market briefs, which is our financial newsletter. So now I'm building market briefs and now I'm turning more into like from the entrepreneur to the small business side. Because in market briefs, I am not the only worker. Right? On, on the minority mindset channel, it's my face. It's mm-hmm. me talking. And it's you know, we have video editors and all that, but it's mainly me. If I'm not working in minority mindset, we're not making any more content and it's not growing, which is okay, right? It's, it's not for me like as my business. For me, it's my way of helping to pursue my passion and my mission to help spread this sort of financial education, the things that I was never taught. Yeah. But my business now, Market Briefs, we have a whole team, right? We have people that read the that lead the creative side, that, yes. that write the newsletter every day. We have the business development team. We have the operations people. So, you know, we have a full team that are, are doing it. And if I were to not go into work tomorrow or if I, you know, something were to happen to me, the business will continue without right, me. Right, right. And so, you know, it's a matter of flipping that money into the next thing to the next and being willing to invest the time, the education. So for me, it, it took me a solid decade. So I'm, I don't have a better, you know, <laughs> three years, I, I couldn't figure Stop, out how to do yeah. it. You know, it took me a long time to figure it out. And Maybe you could do it now. Now it's turn a thousand into a hundred thousand. I could do it in significantly faster than a year. I think one of the things is that I'm hearing you say is, you know, invest that thousand into a skill. Invest yeah. it into a skill. You will get the put, best return. And put it into, you know, that could be, okay, I'm going to buy a camera and for the next two years master becoming great at using the camera, whether it be video or photography, and then start working with clients and making some side income and then yeah. using that money to reinvest in more equipment. Exactly. Using that money to maybe have someone else help me yeah. to scale my my side business. Yeah. 
and then have that cash to invest in other things as yeah. well. It's like, and then develop new skills, yes. and new skill and new skill. And it takes that mindset though, mm -hmm. and the willingness to take risk because, you know, <laughs> I would also caution that because you have to be willing to just try. When I started Minority Mindset, I didn't have a camera. I didn't have any fancy equipment. I started recording videos off of my phone. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm not gonna invest so much money into this when I'm trying to, you know, it's a hobby for me. Yeah. See where it goes. See where yeah. it goes. And I, I, but I did take mm -hmm. an acting class. Uh, I, I was in law school. So I was in law school part-time. I was working on my business full-time. And then I took an acting class in the evenings, night school, because I was like, I've never, I've never talked in front of a camera before. Wow. I, I'm not even a good public speaker. Um, I don't know how to present myself. I don't even know how to hit the on button on a camera. How am I supposed to do this? So I took an acting class because I was like, well, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to try. So you have to be willing to get uncomfortable and you have to be willing to take that risk. And this is going to, I don't know if this is going to offend people or I'm going to say a bad word, but the reason why I think I've been able to become successful is because I'm stupid. Uh. My whole life, I've been told, <laughs> Me just, <and> you're <laughs> both, man. <laughs> I've been told, just breathe, they're stupid. Just breathe, they're stupid. Why would you want to do that? And you know what? That's the reason why I am where I am today is because I'm stupid. Because mm. I'm willing to, I never looked at the risk. And right. you call it stupidity, but for me is I just saw the opportunity as I know I want to achieve something bigger because I saw how hard my parents had. Mm -hmm. I saw how hard my grandparents had. Yep. My grandparents were refugees. Yeah. They lost their homes, they lost everything. They had to fight for their lives. And so I saw the things that my family had to go through. I, my, my grandparents raised me, they lived with me. So I lived with my grandparents and my parents. So I heard their stories talked about the struggles, and that was where I started to get my basis of financial education. Because my grandfather would tell me, and he actually repeated this to me a, a couple of weeks ago when I was on the phone with him, and he was like, you know, the, the biggest and worst disease is poorness. Because mm. he said, I, I grew up and I saw extreme poverty. So my family's from a state in India wow. called Punjab. Yep. And in 1947, our home, the state of Punjab was severed by the government. And if you were a Sikh, a member of the religion that I am, and you're on the west side of Punjab, you had to migrate east, otherwise you were gonna be killed. Uh, so my grandparents were on the west side, and you literally had to like run. Like my grandfather, all he had was a clothes on his back and a sword in his hand. And as they were coming across, they, they got attacked by a mob. And he saw his uh, uncle get his head chopped open right in front of him. No way. They had a fight. And so he put his uncle on a horse and that was the end. And Holy so he, cow. He got to the new side of India now, and he's there. He lost his shoes on the way. He has no home, no money, no anything. And so he says, I saw extreme poorness. And when you're in that level of poorness, forget f helping other people. You can't even feed yourself. How can you feed your family? If you can't feed your family, you can't feed another hungry person. And so that's what he talks about, what he, you know, and that's what my initial, like, wow. the importance of, because, again, like, they didn't know investing. They didn't know financial education. What he knew was survival. survival. And, he, and what he would tell me is work hard, follow the system, and become successful. And that's why I wanted to become successful, because I saw that. Now, I didn't know the right way to do it at the time, but that's what we're all taught, right? We're all yes. taught to go to school, get good grades, get a good job. But there's so much more to it that we're never taught. But that's where my, my initial, like, I need to become successful, I need to work hard, was from that learning, that basic kind I, of need. I, I'm curious, this is something I don't think many people talk about, or I don't hear people talk about, the emotional side around money, and the fear and emotions that are tied to money when you say, okay, here's a couple thousand dollars that I have in my, my bank account, I'm gonna invest some of this, and then you see it in the stock market crash, yes, or yeah. go down, or you lose half of it in a week, how does someone manage the emotions in the visceral response 
to when their money goes up and also goes down yeah. in an investment. So you have to know your strategy and you have to be willing to stick to the strategy and, st- and trust your strategy. So that means when times are good, you need to spend your time being learning, get educated, and believe your strategy. Because if you just start switching your strategy in the middle of times, you are gonna be the one paying the price. The stock market is a place that transfers money from the patient to the impatient. And so if you are impatient, because you're like, oh, things are going wrong temporarily, and you sell, who, what happens? Someone else can pick up your investment at a discounted price. So that's the first thing that you have to understand. You have to understand the strategy and be willing to stick with it and make sure that it's been time tested. And again, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And you can see the success of certain strategies through previous downward cycles. Downward cycles happen. It's a fact. I mean, every eight to 12 years, we see some sort of economic slowdown. We see some sort of market crash. And this is nothing new. This is why uh, for successful investors, they love recessions. They love market crashes mm. because it gives them an opportunity to come and buy. It's like Black Friday, right, for yeah, investors. Yeah. So the first thing you have to understand is that. Um, and then that will help you kind of just close your eyes. Remember, these are just day-to-day swings. You only lose money if you sell or if your investment goes bankrupt. So you want to make sure it's not going bankrupt <laughs> and then understand that. But then on the flip side, you know, you talk about the actual emotions. I'll tell you, it was difficult, you know, because I had very high expectations on me to go out and become a professional. I became an attorney because essentially the conversation was, if you do not become a doctor, then you're going to lose all pride in the family. So at least become an attorney. (laughs) It was difficult. Second best. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. And if you're not that, you're a failure. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it was tough. And, I, you know, for me, I was like, okay, well, I can go to law school part-time, which means I can work on my business full-time. Mm. However, I wasn't the best student in law school. And the reason was because I was devoting a lot of my time and energy into the business. business. Now, yeah. I did good in law school. I'm not good. Like, I actually did really well in the bar exam. I enjoyed learning. I love learning. But I knew that in the back of my mind, oh, my God, if I graduate law school and things don't work, I... Uh, I don't know how I'm going to work as an attorney. Like I'm, I'm going to be like the bottom of the barrel. Like I, I don't know what I'm going to do because I, 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 I don't like know the traditional how to work as an attorney. I'm sure I could figure it out, but I don't know what I would do. And so I remember I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, like when I'm done with law school, like it's, it's over. Like I was already making decent money. So I was fortunate there, but I was like, what mm. if this is just like, just temporary. What if things go down and I don't have any like security and that's it. And I, I, I would have so much anxiety. I couldn't sleep at night. I would wake up in the middle of the night multiple times and I would be shaking. And I was like, what if the, uh, not only am I going to like financially not be able to take care of myself, how am I going to take care of my parents? How am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to, what am I going to tell people? Like, what mm. am I going to do? And just the amount of questions is, it, it is hard. And that's, you know, the faith in you, be willing to take that risk tolerance is hard. And I, I was fortunate that I, I have tough skin. And I think the reason why is because, you know, my whole life I was bullied. Uh, I look different. I, I wear a turban. I have a beard. When I was in elementary school, I was picked on because of it. Then we went through 9-11 when I was, uh, you know, young. And oh, then man. Just a bunch of, How old are you in 9-11? Uh, I was maybe 10 years old. Uh, so right around 10. And is the tradition, you know, is do the youth dress in this way as well so or is it more I, once you're of yeah. a certain age so i wore a smaller turban okay and uh you know it's it still very identifiable right i was picked on before that uh how old were you then when 9 11 around 10. so what was that like for you so i went to uh, a school with um all white people and uh so people just they were not accustomed to other 
religions and cultures. Races and everything. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> when 9-11 happened, everything just went, I mean, it was really bad where I was like picked on, bullied. I was punched. I was had my stuff thrown around. I was spit on. Wow. There was times I had my turban ripped off. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. Really? Yeah. It was, I mean, it was pretty. Um, at ten. At ten. I, with, I mean, it was it was ten, eleven, twelve. It went on for I years. Mean, for it years, because yeah. not eleven was five, ten years of. Yeah, it was a lot. This energy, yeah. And um, you know, it was just one of those things where I would come home, and again, it was my grandparents. My grandfather, he was in, he was a very tough person, right? He went through a lot, and he ended up joining the army. And he was a very like. He was like, you got to stand up for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I was a really timid young kid. I was like, oh, I don't know. And then my grandma was this loving person who said, no, it's okay. Give me a kiss and hug. Say, no, you never want to fight. Just, mm. uh, you know, just teach them about them. So I had like these two kind of polar opposites. And I think that was great because that helped me see both sides um, and become more of like understanding mm-hmm. different opinions. But, you know, when you go through that and you realize that, you know, I'm not accepted or you feel that way. When you want to become an entrepreneur, you, you don't get accepted. Right. And it, it translates differently. Where now it's like, oh, I don't like your business idea. You're dumb for doing that. You must be stupid for doing that. Who's going to start a sock business? You were yeah, supposed yeah. to become a doctor. That was the saying that I heard so many times. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you know, people will call my parents and say, oh, so your son is supposed to be a doctor. Now he's selling socks. And it was like, you, you got to have some tough skin, man, to be able to hear that and keep going. And uh, so... It, I was fortunate to be able to go through that and let that I, I, I make me stronger. But now it's like, it is what it is. You yeah. know, I'm going to keep doing me. And it's like, you know, it goes back to the, hey, I'm stupid. Uh-huh. It is what I'm going to keep doing because I believe in it. People don't see what I see, but I'm going to go for it. My man, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate, I appreciate you. you Lewis. Thank you for having me. It was a great time as always. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.